this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the hindus in focus podcast last month the government's department of consumer affairs brought out norms that e-commerce websites and apps must adhere to for customer reviews fake reviews that proper products tend to lure customers into purchasing them in the belief that others have had a good experience what other aspects do these standards cover are all of the norms mandatory anything else the government ought to have done to share his perspectives with us today we have mihir mahajan adjunct fellow at the takshashila institution in bengaluru he teaches topics in technology policy such as competition policy intellectual property and algorithm audits Interestingly his prior work includes research on online reputation systems to understand how consumers use reviews and the economic impact of having a good online reputation. Welcome uh, to the podcast Mihir I really appreciate your being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Lovely. Uh, if you can uh, dive in straight away in the context of um, guidelines being introduced for e-commerce uh, site reviews by customers. I mean before we get down to the real uh, you know specifics just from anecdotal experience if i have to take myself as an amazon.com customer for example and whenever i want to check reviews before i buy a product i see some of these labeled as verified and i understand that to mean that the reviewer has bought the product and is using uh, using that particular login id so how will the new guidelines make things different right that's actually an excellent question so if you uh, if you look at online reviews there are certain sites like amazon that have clear labels like verified purchases which tells you that the review comes from someone who has made a purchase of the product or the service and therefore kind of you have this uh, assurance that, uh, that the person is genuine but uh, amazon as well as many others also have other types of reviews that are unconnected to purchases so you could go to a website uh, that that offers products for sale and add your reviews without ever having purchased the product or at least without having purchased the product from the website so the verified is kind of a signal that you have put your money in in uh, buying that product and therefore your review is more likely to be reliable the new guidelines don't particularly change it what they say is to comply more fully with the standard it would require e-commerce providers to uh, clearly indicate which purchases came from uh, verified purchases so it's for amazon it wouldn't change because they already have that feature and as do many others but it would make that a part by making that part of the standard it's kind of sending a signal that verified purchases is useful information for the consumer and so platform should include it to the extent possible so that and as a corollary to uh, my question and then your response as well so if i have to stretch you know the question is there a need for such guidelines was there a trigger as in like there have been waves and waves of uh, people having read or fake reviews and been you know sort of taken for a ride by the system is there a need for such guidelines at this point and second part of my question do you need actually a new bis standard at all so i think uh, coming to the first part i think consumer protection is a mandate for uh, for a many governments for pretty much any government so that uh, ordinary consumers are not taken for a ride by uh, sellers who are selling fake products or who are not shipping the right product or who otherwise cheat you in various ways i think uh, from a regulatory perspective uh, uh, from from a consumer perspective reviews is a very important part of the online experience because after all uh, one is buying a product or a service without having actually entered a store or encountered a 
salesperson that that kind of provides you a certain level of comfort when making a purchase so online reviews kind of substitute for some of that and clearly uh, given that uh, there are bad actors out there uh, bad reviews uh, and therefore man- or manipulated reviews can therefore lead to a bad consumer experience strictly speaking i think uh, given that all the online portals that that offer products and services it is in their interest to deliver a good experience to the consumer because ultimately they want to increase the amount of sales uh, revenue that they obtain and the profits that they can make and that can only happen if consumers build trust in the platform or trust in the seller so in some sense there is a self incentivization to uh, platforms as well as sellers to kind of provide a good experience but uh, obviously uh, given that there are always bad actors and uh, sometimes online identity is cheap bad sellers can emerge and kind of sell a few products and then then go offline and then then emerge under another name there have been some instances or a fair few instances of uh, a fake sales or products not being shipped or other bad behavior by sellers so uh, i think online reviews and their regulation is one part of the overall kind of set of consumer protection mechanism so we have uh, insurance for example or many online websites offer no questions asked returns or uh, or free substitutions if a faulty product is delivered or they allow you to um, kind of raise a consumer grievance and with their company and kind of resolve that grievance to your satisfaction so i think all the other mechanisms are also valuable and while many platforms do implement reviews they may not necessarily implement all the good things that that reviews provide and by kind of laying out a standard that says what is the minimum requirement to comply with the standard there is some incentivization to get certified and and platforms uh, that are certified will benefit from from this i don't think it's a it's like a big leap but it's a it's a useful thing and and then in terms of the bis standard that was your second question so one of the ways in which uh, kind of compliance to certain kinds of desired behaviors is obtained is through releasing a standard so in fact the standard that india just released which was which is uh, what we are talking about it's called online consumer reviews principles and requirements for collection moderation and publication so this is a indian standard but if you look at it in uh, in detail it is actually an adoption of a corresponding international standards organization iso standard and it has been adapted uh, with with some uh, changes that are india specific and and adopted so in in that sense it's not unique to india international standards organization has already released a standard and we have uh, decided to adopt it as part of the indian standards so in that sense also i would say that uh, it's good that we are actually using global best practices as specified in the iso standard and not necessarily trying to reinvent the wheel okay and before this conversation when we were informally chatting you sort of nicely segmented how these would impact different stakeholders in the system so if i could take that one by one for the benefit of our listeners uh, you referred to how or what the impact would be on multi sided platforms you talked about for example uh, zomato or um, swiggy which is uh, food delivery they have restaurants delivery partners and customers how do you think the guidelines would impact each party i think uh, i think one part of it is if you look at uh, very large platforms like zomato and swiggy that have uh, literally lakhs and lakhs of consumers and transactions happening uh, every day they already have compliance with a large part of the standard if you go by their interfaces so they allow uh, someone who uh, let's say i am a consumer that has ordered from a restaurant 
the the feedback mechanisms that they have incorporated allow me to rate uh, to rate the restaurant so i can specify a rating as well as my uh, kind of feedback on the quality of the food and the quantity of the food i received and so on and they also allow me to rate the delivery separately uh, on timeliness cleanliness and uh, nuisance and other other kinds of parameters so in that sense uh, the zomato swiggy platforms have some compliance my concern is that uh, the guidelines are written primarily from uh, kind of a there is a seller and there is a consumer point of view but if you look at it the other way from from the platform's perspective even the delivery partner is a consumer in some way right so for example if a delivery partner picks up an order from a restaurant and the restaurant has actually introduced a delay or the restaurant delivers a dish uh, that is incorrect for the order then the delivery partner has two things going on one is that they may get a negative rating for the from the customer for no fault of theirs and they may also lose their earnings because uh, the because the order is delayed or the order is wrong and so on so i would expect that the guidelines would be interpreted not purely from a like a consumer as the buyer perspective but the delivery partner is also a customer of the of the platform and therefore uh, should be able to provide reviews to the restaurant itself right on timeliness of preparation or ease of pick up of an order and so on and similarly for the restaurant also they should be able to rate the delivery partners in the sense of do uh, do they actually uh, pick up the order and at the indicated time and uh, do they do they carry it properly and deliver deliver it warm and so on so i think for multi sided platforms we should uh, interpret these standards more broadly and think of not just the end customer that is buying the dish or that is taking a cab ride but rather think of all the different players that are customers of the platform so you're hoping that that would be something that the platform uh, you know takes beyond the wording of the uh, guidelines or are you saying that this is a gap that maybe the next version of the guidelines must fix uh, i think the guidelines can be interpreted where the word customer or where the word buyer or uh, it can be interpreted more broadly in, in platform economies because uh, restaurants delivery partners and end consumers are all consumers or customers of the platform in some way so uh, there should be uh, kind of inter- i hope that the businesses interpret that as uh, as broadly as all of these are consumers not just uh, the standards are written more from the perspective of the end consumer but i think they can be interpreted this way and i believe they should be in fact if you if you recall some of the cab uh, aggregator platforms actually allowed drivers to rate passengers so passengers that behave badly or or that engage in violence or swearing and so on can get negative rating and can get banned from the platform so i think that idea needs to be extended and the standards do support it fantastic very insightful there and if you have to look at uh, individual service providers like plumbers beauticians electricians whose work is actually mediated by uh, platform companies uh you would look upon them as uh, customers as well uh, i would assume i think uh, there is a little bit of a danger here because if you look at the guidelines a lot of it is essentially protecting the purchaser and giving the supplier some amount of uh, tools to remedy a bad reputation or a bad review so for example the supplier can potentially contest a review or uh, under certain circumstances can get in touch with the consumer and and resolve the situation and so on i think the danger is not so much in the standard but more in how a little agency um, these uh, individual service providers that that we talked about plumbers or beauticians or others have because if you look at it from the platform's perspective 
they are they are providing interface to connect and they don't have an incentive necessarily to kind of deliver a great experience to these individual agents because uh, after all that's a very competitive market there are very large number of electricians in any given market so and and given the level of um, kind of technology comfort or knowledge that uh, that these individuals have uh, i think the standard can go in some way and the platforms can go farther in providing a providing even better tools for these sellers to uh, kind of contest the reviews or to uh, to more uh, clearly inform them when a consumer is unhappy and so on i think if you if you think of sellers only in terms of like large sellers on a flipkart where they are shipping tens or hundreds of books in a day a large bookseller has the right kind of systems for consumer feedback but given that we have these platforms that connect individuals to each other i think uh, some some simplification or some uh, improved compliance would be useful for for such individuals whose work is mediated lovely so that probably leads us on to the next question i think you refer to the size of a platform there are startups and of course even though there are large companies on the e-commerce horizon we still refer to them as startups but if you have to look at true blue startups you know small in size less than 3 years or other small companies in the msme level what impact would these have i think you i think you wanted to differentiate between guidelines being just guiding light rather than mandatory versus mandatory do you have a view there right so um, let me actually take you back in history right amazon started more than 25 years ago in the us uh, originally as a bookseller and then slowly expanded into other uh, other products uh, one of the things you uh, that many people may not remember is the early versions of amazon or ebay actually didn't have a feedback mechanism they they started off as purely product listings and then you would order and you would get something back and then if you had a problem you would email amazon or ebay customer service and somehow attempt to resolve it as the platforms grew larger this whole idea of product reviews and reviews of the delivery experience and so on came into being because again if you think about it uh, you need uh, mechanisms to build trust uh, unlike a physical store in your neighborhood where if you walk out and let's say buy a book and then two days later you realize that the book had torn pages or some pages were missing you can walk back into the bookstore and that seller knows you because you have previously brought bought from them and so on and the situation can be remedied one of the things that's missing in e-commerce uh, was missing in the mid 90s was actually this trust between buyers and sellers and the reputation systems the reviewing and the star ratings and text reviews and so on filled that gap by kind of allowing consumers to rely on other people's reviews of a particular seller or a particular product to gauge the reliability to gauge the quality and so on so in that sense uh, when you if you go back to the early days of all e-commerce startups they start out with a bare bones platform they have a product listing they have some payment mechanism and they have shipping and delivery and then slowly they add features like uh, reviews and so on so one of the things the way the standards impact startups and small companies is as long as they are voluntary i think a startup doesn't uh, need to worry about the cost of compliance right because it is in the startup's interest to comply because then the trust goes up and their sales can improve but also there are a lot of costs associated with running review systems online so if there are if they are voluntary there is no immediate impact but if these standards were to be made mandatory as as the government has indicated uh, that it will monitor compliance and complaint levels and potentially consider making it mandatory i think the mandatory part can be really problematic because uh, if you look at the standards there are requirements for 
technical implementation of the consumer reviews, technical implementations for protecting people's privacy, allowing uh, sellers to contest the reviews, um, you know, aggregating reviews into a total rating and so on and so forth. And each of them require some level of uh, software engineering implementation, some level of staffing, some level of expenditure, which may not be practical for a startup or a small company. And which, in fact, favors a large platform like an Amazon or a Zomato or, or a Flipkart that has already made massive investments into kind of building these out. So in that sense, the regulatory burden of complying with the standard could make uh, this difficult for startups and small companies. So I sincerely hope that uh, it's not made mandatory right away, uh, especially given that uh, the incentives are such that companies should attempt to comply on their own. But even if it's made mandatory, I hope uh, some level of uh, a transition or exemptions are provided to startups and small companies. Because even, even without online reviews, uh, there are other mechanisms that I previously talked about that can protect consumers. So in that sense, yes, I, I think it can impact startups if it's made mandatory. Okay, that's interesting because you mentioned uh, may not be practical and you were saying this from the point of view of the uh, service provider on the platform. Um, and if I have to look at it from uh, the platform itself, uh, regulating uh, you know the uh, authenticity of reviews coming in from customers, are these practicable? Because, um, you know, for instance, I understand the avoidance of profanity uh, in reviews. But how do you check for frequency of reviews by a certain author? I mean, are there algorithms which obviously then makes it more costly for small companies to uh, uh, bring this in? Uh, you know, what if cooked up reviews are made via newer and newer logins? So there is no way we can actually shutter the whole thing, confine it to the realm of, uh, you know, being right all the time. Uh, and, you know, I have a feeling that there are some gaps that would be difficult, if not impossible, to fill in terms of um, checking all fake reviews. Yeah, actually, that's a that's a very, very good question. Um, the way I would I would frame it is that the standard doesn't require uh, and correctly so for the platform or for the e-commerce provider to necessarily kind of uh, capture every instance of violation. Right. They are quite practical in the sense that. They require a consumer that is providing the review to agree to a terms and conditions of a of an e-commerce provider. So in that sense, there is some mandate on the consumer that is providing the review. So if a consumer breaks that and kind of uses profanity or provides fake reviews, uh, the platform has uh, kind of a legally binding type of uh, thing there that says, look, you violated the terms and conditions. We are going to either ban you from the platform or re remove the review and so on. So I think in that sense, they are practical. What I think we are looking at is uh, the, the amount of fake reviews or the types of reviews or the types of reviewers. I mean, there are also coordinated agencies that kind of say, we'll give you a positive reputation. If you pay us uh, X amount of money, we will give you 100 positive reviews on Amazon. That is kind of coordinated uh, inauthentic behavior that is banned or that is that is frowned upon by the standard. And, uh, and I think uh, that kind of thing, if the cost is made sufficiently higher, uh, the cost of a cooked up review, the cost of a fake review, if that is made sufficiently higher, uh, I think it is a, it is a disincentive to providing such reviews. So to, to be to be honest, um, I would say that uh, uh, providing reviews has certain cost and sellers only engage in such behavior if they can benefit from it. So if that cost can be increased and which is what the standard does by requiring some amount of identity verification, some amount of uh, validation of the consumer. Um, I think the, the proportion of reviews can go down, but I think, uh, I mean, uh, 
just relying on these as uh, the panacea or as a one-all solution for uh, eliminating fake reviews would be would be incorrect to say. Uh, they they are a good step, but they are not sufficient. We still need better algorithms to uh, detect fake reviews. We need uh, we need innovation in this area to uh, to kind of protect the consumers further. The standards set a baseline that is good, but I think innovation can can solve this further. That's interesting. Can you elaborate on the costs that you mentioned? Because I thought some of this, at least what we see as verification right now, that is taken up uh, by the platforms themselves rather than the seller on the platform. So, you know, is there a gap in my understanding? Can you fill that up? Yeah. So uh, what the standards say is that for any consumer review that is provided and made available on an e-commerce platform or a third-party review website, the platform or the website is required to verify that it came from a genuine user. So uh, what they mean by genuine user is they can verify the, uh, the that it came from a genuine user through multiple mechanisms. They could, uh, for example, require every reviewer to provide an email address or contact telephone number and kind of use that to confirm that the user did in fact provide the review. They could also use other signals like the internet protocol address or uh, other types of in personal information that the consumer can provide. So in some sense, by having, by requiring a phone number or an email address, uh, you already kind of, if, if let's say the platform requires a phone number and a one-time password to be provided, you're already kind of verifying that there's a real person at that phone number. And that that same phone number isn't being used by, let's say, hundreds of different reviewers. Similarly with an email address. So that increases the cost a little bit. Whereas like some platforms currently allow anyone to kind of walk in and kind of log into the website or not even log in and just leave anonymous reviews. And the platform has no way of kind of contacting the reviewer and uh, validating it or or taking it down. So in that sense, the standard does provide some mechanisms for uh, for the platform to uh, handle such reviews. Um, also, if, uh, you know, just a question on how much of detail the guidelines should go into, because I thought I saw some nitty gritty saying a reviewer who once uh, posts or her review is not allowed to edit it. Uh, you know, one of the big things about Twitter is that, you know, please allow us to edit our own tweets. Sometimes, uh, uh, you know, spelling mistakes, grammar mistakes come in, or sometimes factual errors that I might want to correct later once I know that I'm wrong. So do you think uh, that's something that the guidelines should keep off? I think that's actually a misunderstanding that a lot of the media has reported. The media report on this has, has stressed on this fact. But if, in fact, you read the section 6.8 of the guidelines, uh, there is a clear provision for review authors to modify their reviews. So one is that they can remove a review they have posted. Uh, they can add updates uh, separate from the original review or they can edit. So, for example, if you take the Amazon example, uh, there is always the provision for any consumer to review to remove a review they have posted. Or, for example, you receive a product and you write a bad review and then you receive customer support and realize that there was a mistake in, of some kind in, in, in installation or something and you want to correct your review, then you can post a, kind of an appendix that says, look, my problem was different and it was resolved and my original review is no longer trustworthy. And also there's a provision to edit under certain conditions. So I think the the key thing really is that uh, there are provisions to edit. They are slightly limited, but uh, that makes sense because uh, once the review is online, it's immediately contributing to trust from from other other consumers. So in that sense, you shouldn't willy-nilly be able to edit a review. But the fact that uh, you can edit it is true as per the standard. I don't think it prohibits that. Excellent. That's a big relief. So 
what additional uh, uh, solutions would you propose i'm sure you know you said it's a first step uh, it's a good first step but may not be enough we have to improve as we go along but any views that you have on what else we could look at version 2 whenever we get around to this as a country right so i uh, that's that's actually an excellent question because uh, if you look at it uh, if you look at the standard as it stands uh, it's written from the perspective of uh, you know what an individual e-commerce player should do and in terms of providing review features allowing consumers to submit reviews allowing sellers to interact and kind of contest those reviews and as well as acting as an intermediary so in that sense those are those are really good but if you think about e-commerce uh, landscape as a whole uh, there is a lot of concentration of market power so for example if you are uh, ordering books online i think a lot of people just default to amazon because amazon actually has reviews for the books and so you can go and read the reviews and order the book on the other hand if you are going to a uh, like an independent booksellers online platform while they may have some reviews they largely are just listings of books and you can just order but you to get, get the information you have to go to an amazon or a goodreads which is also owned by amazon so uh, and that that kind of leads to market power for amazon right like if you know that uh if you are already at amazon to read the reviews you can just click buy and order the book whereas for the third party seller uh, it is impossible to kind of compete because they they can't really get that many reviews that amazon does so one solution to that market power is uh, to allow the reviews to be portable right so for example like all of these products that are sold on e-commerce typically have stock keeping units that clearly identify individual products a book has an isbn number or electronics item has a has a, a particular part id and so on so one idea is to make these reviews portable if the standard said for example that no matter uh, whether the review is provided on a swiggy or amazon or some other platform the review can be portable meaning that the platform is required to offer some sort of a programming interface that allows competitors or third parties to incorporate these reviews in on their websites right that would really improve things because then the third parties can actually compete rather than you having to go to amazon to read reviews on amazon or to have to go to zomato to read restaurant reviews you could be at a startup's website or you could be on the restaurant's own website and still be able to see the review content and that would end of uh, free up these platforms a little bit because in some sense reviews are really leading to a reputation for the product service or the service provider as far as if i am a restaurant that's listed on zomato and i have a good reputation on zomato that's on account of my good work but i can't currently take that reputation to my own website if i have a restaurant website i can't really take the reviews i received on zomato and put them there because zomato has put them behind a wall but by requiring or at least allowing reviews to be portable we could make we could reduce some of this uh, kind of concentration of power in the hands of uh, the few players and i think that would uh, that would also kind of benefit consumers because no matter where you look at a product you are seeing reviews from all around the web and and potentially uh, kind of making a more informed decision that's very interesting mehir uh, because uh, it, to me it sounds like if not now maybe in the future when this actually becomes a big deal this particular point it actually impinges on antitrust because the power of the platform decides you know how much i control or let go uh that's a very interesting point that you've made do you do you foresee any such let's say the involvement of cci or cci like powers coming to a futuristic or future uh, certifying authority that may be set up for reviewing review platform reviews on platforms 
Uh, I think I think that would be taking a, taking like a bazooka to a to a small fight. What what I would actually hope for is that uh, I mean, just like in other cases, data portability or ownership is being contested heavily, right? Like as a consumer, for for example, if I have an insurance policy with first insurer A, and then I want to transition it to an insurer B, my reputation does travel with me, right? If I am a safe driver, I have driven cars for five years with no accidents. Uh, I should not be locked into a particular insurance provider. I should be able to take that reputation to other providers and say, look, I am a safe driver. Can you give me a lower premium? Similarly, if I am a restaurant that has a high reputation or if I am an Amazon seller that has a good reputation, I should that reputation should belong to me, not to the platform. And I think that that shouldn't require intervention at a CCI level. I think it uh, it is it is something that can be mandated in the review standards and and uh, hopefully be adopted. And in fact, startups should pitch for this, that they be allowed to kind of uh, access reviews and even other uh, data that belongs to the seller or to the product rather than to the platform. Excellent. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if uh, I have to sum up our conversation, I know we touched upon different stakeholders in the system, platforms, sellers, uh, delivery partners, uh, restaurants, and then customers. If I have to look at it purely from a customer point of view, what I take away is and correct me if I'm wrong, that as a customer, if I'm used to all the big names uh, in this ecosystem, I may not see significant changes. Maybe the quality of reviews will change sort of imperceptibly. The number of reviews may come down, but um, you know, I may not see a video as a first review where you know, somebody is unboxing it and you know, saying, this is my experience. Because as a customer, I used to be surprised saying, hey, you have such brand loyalty that you have time to actually uh, you know, videograph what... Uh, your experience uh, from the time you unbox a product. So maybe those kinds of things would go down, but there won't be significant changes. Uh, maybe this, these are you know best practices that are advised for the ecosystem. So when smaller and newer players come on, the experience is sort of similar across, across platforms. Would I be accurate in assuming this? Uh, I think you're largely right that uh, that by, by providing a standard uh, that is applicable in India, uh, these kinds of practices get codified across the industry, right? I mean, for example, Amazon has this clear label of verified purchaser uh, uh, next to a review, but many other websites may not have. And this kind of, the standard kind of gives you a bare minimum kind of set. So the standard is also kind of into two or three parts. There is a section that is mandatory in order to comply to the standard. And then there are actions that you can take that are recommended, but not mandatory. So by having like a floor set of things that a platform or a e-commerce provider needs to do to comply with the standard, uh, the government is providing a baseline behavior. And in fact, if that baseline behavior was made mandatory, even though it would impose costs on startups, it could kind of uh, make overall online shopping slightly more safer. I'd rather would believe in the combination of all the mechanisms, but I, I think we're not going to see a big change. We might see uh, small changes that uh, that make uh, that make reviews more reliable across the board, but uh, I, I wouldn't uh, kind of hold a bated breath and say that like all the bad reviews are going to go away. Uh, the experience, I mean, Europe has some some standards like this, and I've seen some research that says that uh, it hasn't kind of materially improved the quality of reviews. So keeping fingers crossed, but not uh, not thinking that there's going to be a big difference. Excellent. Thank you. Really uh, appreciate your insightful uh, comments, Mihir. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. And I think you made a big difference in terms of our understanding as to how these guidelines will work.
thank you thank you bharat for having me and uh, and look forward to uh, more conversations later thank you in focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues in the meantime you can find our podcast on spotify apple podcasts stitcher and other platforms just search for in focus by the hindu we'll see you soon